I mean, I engage Alan's services for that. That being the, the first one, like, what? How do I do this? Like, how do do I need to think about all, all these things? And look, he certainly put things in place that I guess I perhaps wouldn't have done. But I think once I understood that plan on a, you know, on a very not even a detailed plan, just understood the, the basics of it, I really realised that it was just about eating food. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin. I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined as always by colleague, fellow sports dietitian and researcher, Steph Gaskell. Now, Steph, have you recovered from the uh, the crazy week in the lab last week? There were alarms going off. There were people everywhere. It was, uh, yeah, we were both in there doing studies last week, and it was, it was, uh, yeah, a hectic one. It was. It was very hectic. Um, good to see though that we could coordinate it all and work as we know, work really well together and um, tag team things where we needed to. But um, I, funnily enough, had. The night before, just had my vaccination, the second jab, and um, and I was sort of um, boasting, I guess, to the participant how you know I'm feeling really good, like no symptoms. And then um, by about twelve o'clock noon, I, I had a whopping headache, and I can't be sure if that whopping headache was from the vaccine or it was from that bloody freezer alarm going off nonstop constant um but no it was a vaccine I had um unfortunately I did get some symptoms but thankfully it only lasted for the 24 hours I had um headache um uh, aching and then um fevers in the in the evening that then came good the the next day so yeah but that was a a yeah very um fun day in the lab So today is episode 14B and our topic is what should I eat and drink to optimise recovery? So last week we had 14A with Dr Isabella Rosso talking about, I guess, some of the theoretical elements of recovery and and some of the, I guess, emerging science in that area. And today we are joined by an athlete guest, Richard Bowles. So um, we'll we'll get get stuck in and, and introduce Richard shortly. Um, but also we have some um, social media shout-outs. So you've already mentioned one, Steph, in terms of mm. someone who got in touch with you um, to, to participate in your study, which is yep. great. Um, and we also um, wanted to highlight another study that's actually happening at La Trobe University with some colleagues over there. Watch um, out. Now, There's elbows out now, Alan. Well, no, this isn't a lab-based study. Okay. This is a survey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're not in competition. All right. We're all friends here. Um, <laughs> so this is a questionnaire-based study. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes to complete for endurance athletes uh, around um, eating and uh, a condition that, that some people might be across called orthorexia, which is kind of a, an unhealthy um, obsession, I guess, with, with eating healthy, quote-unquote. Um, now, what the study is looking at, is a, is a bunch of things. It's completely confidential. Your data, you know, your name's not captured in any way. Um, but it just asks questions about how you feel when you eat, your relationship with food, your motivations behind eating, um, your quality of life, the types of foods you eat, and so on. And they're trying to get some information about um, 
different sort of groups of athletes and, and how they think and feel about their food and their eating and, and their relationship between that and health and performance. So uh, if you've got 30, 45 minutes to spare and you, you'd like to help them out from a research point of view, you can um, you can do that. We will post um, their information on our social media channels at The Long Munch, uh, but also you can go directly to their study by following this link. Uh, it's REDCAP, so R-E-D-C-A-P, dot link forward slash mq2rct3x uh, that's the link there so if you plug that in to your browser you'll get that um, you'll get that coming up and you'll be able to access that survey and, and take part in that which I'm sure they'll very much appreciate mm, yeah it's always hard to get people for study so the more we can help each other out with getting people involved, uh, the better and, and the more information we can get out there and, and learn and, and ultimately, you know, help athletes. Mm, contribute to our understanding even more. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So it is episode 14B today, Steph, as we said, and our topic is what should I eat and drink to optimise recovery? Uh, and as we said, our guest today is Richard Bowles. Now, Richard is, um, I guess he would sort of think of himself as an adventurer first and foremost. Um, most of his adventures have been running, uh, but he tends to think of himself more in terms of the adventure side of things rather than the running aspect. And we'll hear a bit about that tonight and I guess what that means to him. And he's done some quite interesting runs though over the years, um, starting off back in, I think it was 2012, where he was the first person to run the full length of Australia's Bicentennial National Trail, which is a uh, a trail that runs along the Great Dividing Range in Australia from Healesville down here in Victoria, sort of the southern end of Australia, right up to Cooktown in far northern Queensland up towards the top of Australia. So all up, it's about 5,330 kilometres um, that he ran. Uh, he did that over about five and a half months, becoming the first person to run that. He then um, finished that adventure um, decided that wasn't enough and a couple of months or only a month or so later flew over to New Zealand to a trail that runs the length of New Zealand, both North and South Island, um, which had just opened and he became the first one to run the full length of that trail as well, um, which I think a lot of Kiwis weren't too happy about that uh, this bloke <laughs> just flew across the ditch and beat them to it, but uh, there you go. Um, and then I think a year or so after that, he um, attempted to break the record for the fastest running of the Israel National Trail, um, running from, I think, south to north of, of Israel as well. Uh, unfortunately, that one he didn't get the record for. Uh, he ended up with a badly blistered foot and spent, I think, a week in hospital um, halfway along that trail uh, with a severe infection in his foot. Mm -hmm. uh, but he'll talk about a bit about, I guess, those adventures and, and some of the things that happened with those, but he's done all sorts of other adventures. He's run uh, around a, an active volcano in Indonesia. Uh, he's um, flow, you know, run under uh, missiles being fired um, mm -hmm. in, in Israel. Uh, in, in the Australian one, he had um, crocodile-infested waters he had to, to wade his way through. So uh, he certainly uh, doesn't, doesn't do things half-heartedly, um, it's fair to say. Um, and I was involved with Richard for that very first um, project where he ran the length of Australia to look at the nutrition aspect of that. Uh, and I guess that's what we want to, to talk to him a bit about today is um, the, the recovery aspect of that and what he eats sort of after he finishes running. Uh, and as we alluded to, I guess, at the end of last week's podcast, um, 
it's, I guess, different people have different philosophies around nutrition, different ways of thinking about it and doing it. Uh, and I think with Richard, it's very much, uh, he, he likes to keep things fairly simple, as you'll hear in this interview, um, and and keep it, you know, not, not too complicated, not too specific. And we'll talk a bit more after the interview about, I guess, the, the significance of that and how that might differ to athletes in different um, sports or different events. Uh, or have you know people have different mentalities around that, and I guess how you you change that up depending on your situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it. Um, he's got so many stories, and he's done some incredible things. So I think yeah, um, you'll learn about how he tackles the nutrition side of things, but then you'll learn about just these incredible life experiences that that he has had and that he continues to um aspire to having yeah yep absolutely so a couple of the projects we haven't even mentioned yet uh in terms of doing a a fully simulated multi-stage ultra marathon on a treadmill in a lab which was at our lab at monash uh, a few years ago Uh, and more recently uh, he was over in india uh, about 18 months ago pulling uh, a hand-drawn rickshaw um and living on the streets with the the rickshaw wallers over there um, in absolute poverty so yeah we mm. sort of talk about all of those things we go off on quite a few tangents i tangents. think but we uh we, we got some nutrition in there uh, and as i said after the interview we'll kind of wrap that up and and incorporate what isabella talked about last week uh, and also maybe a bit of what we learned from the um the the two podcasts before that around stage racing because obviously there's a big recovery component to those as well Awesome. Let's um, get stuck into it. Yep, let's do it. So, Richard Bowles, welcome to the Long Munch podcast. How are things going with you? One more day of lockdown to go. How's it been? <laughs> One more day out of, our, what, 170, how many? 178 <laughs> or something here in Victoria or something? It's just ludicrous, isn't it? We think about it. Yeah. Compared to the rest of the country, the rest of the world has probably had less lockdowns than us um, in this little state. But um, look, life's good, mate. I'm, uh, you know, I'm working. Um, I've got a nice life here. Um, things are pretty good for me, really, um, in, in the grand scheme of things. But you know, obviously, it's always a little bit depressing, and it's it's a, he- a heavy weight to think of all those poor people that are struggling and continue mm. to struggle. And we'll continue to struggle after this is over, in fact. Um, mm. Just trying to get back to where they were pre this whole global FU. Mm. <laughs> it's a yeah. big one. Exactly right. And I mean, I guess for you, um, you know, you've done quite a few sort of adventure runs of all different shapes and sizes over the years, um, some within Australia, some overseas. Has that been a challenge for you in terms of the things that you've wanted to achieve being sort of locked down, you know, five kilometres from home for a big chunk of the last year? Yeah, massively, because we've got projects in the pipeline um, that are all overseas. Um, and they're not actually running related e- either, but even if they were, that'd still be a challenge because, um, you know, you just can't travel. Um, but, I mean, the, the 5K zone, I mean, I mean, as a, as a runner and I guess somewhat long-distance runner, if you want to call it that, um, it just means doing extra laps, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was crazy when people said, you know, I'm sick of walking down the same streets. It's like, man, there's so many streets in a five-kilometer radius. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, you know. And remember, it's a five-kilometer radius from from where you are. So if you run on the outskirts of that. It's a hell of a lot longer. So you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's plenty. There was plenty of opportunity to to get out there and clock up some mileage, if if you wished. 
Um, but I also fell into the trap of going, well, maybe I use this as an opportunity to not go out and do stuff and, you know, join the masses, which was sit on the couch, watch Netflix, eat a lot of junk, junk food, increase my alcohol intake, which I'm, I'm really fit now. I'm alcohol fit right now. Like I'm, bit, I'm beer fit. I'll, t- I'll take on any young kids right, right now in a pub. Doing shots. Training, training yeah, totally. Um, you know, so look, it's, I just used it a bit to, I guess, take a backseat and just, you know, rest and relax a little bit because I've done so much, you know, in mm. terms of activity. It was nice just to not really think about it and have mm. an excuse not to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, I'm assuming the last sort of um, sort of big running adventure or adventure, I guess it wasn't necessarily running, uh, was sort of end of 2019. So almost coming into the start of the pandemic when you pulled a hand-drawn rickshaw in Calcutta in India for a week. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about that experience a little bit later on. But I guess fast forwarding 18 months from now and India, I guess, is really in the thick of things in terms of the, the pandemic. Do you have sort of contacts that you maintain over there? And, and what's your reaction been to what's been happening over in India? Yeah, well, look, I do have contacts there. You know, the guys that I used on the ground there to, to make the documentary, but as you said, we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, I do have contact with those guys. Um, unfortunately, I don't really have contacts with the guys that I sort of, who were part of the documentary, meaning that they were in it, you know, the guys that live on the streets there. Um, and the guys who made the documentary with me don't know where those guys are either. And um, look, it's... It, unless you've been to India, it's really hard to get your head around because you can look at it on the TV and go, wow, that's bad. But if you've, if you've been there, you actually understand how bad it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very overcrowded place and a lot of people don't have homes. A lot of people sleep on the street, live hand to mouth. So if you're not working, you're stuffed. Um, you know, you, you can't escape people. You're always shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, and on top of just the, the COVID virus, you know, you've also got like heavy pollution, um, you know, bacteria all over the shot. Like it's, it's, a, it's a, a hard existence, I think, to live in India. And then you put a, you know, this global pandemic on top, top of that. It's just, it's, it, you can't get your head around it. It's just an unbelievable thing for those, I think, that country in particular to, to go through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as I said, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that experience um, sort of later on. Um, in, in terms of the, the running side of things, um, you know, hopefully restrictions will start to ease maybe later this year, next year, something like that. Have you got sort of specific plans in the works for when restrictions do ease and we are able to travel a bit more freely? Um, well, I have, like I said before, I've got projects that are not running related. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm done with the running. I think I'm done with running in terms of, See, I've always used running as uh, it's to explore the inner depths of me. And I think a lot of runners can probably somewhat relate to that. But my my experience running like basically long distance trails that span entire nations, um, the idea of, of doing that is not really about the running. I'm just using running as a tool to fatigue me mentally and physically. And then on top of that, then I like to be challenged. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned earlier about um, Israel, I think you mentioned at the start there, or I did run through Israel. Like, I love the fact that it was a little bit of kind of drama with, um, you know, the West Bank and that. I mean, it's not a, not a nice thing, but what I, what I enjoyed about that experience that there was missiles that fired overhead in the middle of that. And when you run 85 k's a day through a, de- a desert, carrying most of your belongings on your back, um, and in the middle of that, then there's some missiles that fire over your head. I love that challenge. 
because I'm already mentally and physically fatigued. And that's where I really, I get off. And that's, and that's really where my life revolves around now is that, that crux, I guess, that crossroads of, of um, making decisions around a point of change or a challenge or a crisis. Um, you know, that very chaotic moment. I love um, unpacking that moment and figuring out how you either step into that and through that or, you know, turn away and take a different path. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And is that sort of the lens in which you sort of got into running in the first place? I guess it was more than a decade ago now. Oh, he's a lot, Alan. Jesus, <laughs> just, just so people know who are listening to this, I'm not grey. No, I've, well, I've, I've, I've got a few bits to show. You can on start that. running in primary school. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, but you're not going to run through the middle of the Israeli deserts. Yeah. With yourself, no. <laughs> You'd be really hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, I don't know. I actually don't know. Yeah, I think I think it w- would have been um, not intentionally necessarily, but definitely probably was. You know, an exploration of of self. Um, I actually left that very first project uh, back in 2012. That was when I completed that. So it was five and a half thousand kilometers or, almost from Hillsville down in Victoria to um, to Cooktown in far north Queensland. So it's predominantly the, the length of the Great Dividing Range, and. Um, and look, it was obviously a huge experience. I ran a marathon a day basically for five months. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supported, but I had days where I'd be out there for a week or two alone. So I had to carry a lot of stuff. Obviously, food and hydration becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, and when I finished that trip, I don't think I had the answer I was perhaps looking for. So what I did was I sat down back then with a whole bunch of psychological experts and really tried to explore I guess the question why, because why was a question I always get asked, even today. And to be quite honest, even today, I don't know if I could give you a, a, a specific answer that you'd be happy with, let's say. But I know back then I, I didn't know why, and I used to make up reasons why. I used to lie and say, look, I'm, I'm looking for the why in the hope to never find it. Which was BS, because I was seeing all these psychologists to try and figure out why I did what I did right. Um, <laughs> But what I found was it actually put me in a real bad place in terms of depression, trying to look for that answer. And really the answer I got back from the professionals was, well, sometimes it's just because. But obviously when you got me- when you do a project and you've got media asking why you did it and stuff, you know, you can't say just because. It's not really an answer that people like, you know. And I think it's very hard to, to articulate that, that answer why. So I guess to some degree, I have been, I have, well, I have explored that that question for a, lo- a long time, and I, I do help organisations, or at least people within those organisations, try and figure out what their their purpose, their why is. And it's a bit of a, it's a topic that I generally don't like because I think it gets a little bit pulled out of context. I think it gets a bit too fluffy out there. What's, what's your purpose? What, what's your why? It's going to be a strong why, you know. If you know why you're doing it, it's like, it's way more complex than that. Mm. Um, to the point where I think when you know what that purpose or that reason is, I feel that you probably can't articulate it. At least that's my experience. Right? I can, I, I mean, to, I know we're off topic here because it's about n- nutrition, but, some, but some, in some ways not because, you know, how much food I get, in a project really determines how I think about certain situations too, right? If I'm starving, if I've got lots of food, if I'm thinking about water and all those kind of things. But, you know, I think, um, I think you know that, that um, I think that, that reason or that purpose is something that you can't articulate. And the way to try and explain that to people, I think, is by saying, you know, if you think about a loved one, a parent, a sibling, 
uh, a child. Can you give me one big statement why you love that person? And the answer is no. Mm. There's a million different reasons why. You couldn't ever try to sum that up in a, in a statement that says, this is, this is why I love my child. This is why I love my, my parents. The fact is you just do. So the answer is ju- just because. Mm. Um, but you know why, but you can't tell people why. You can't mm. sum it up. So I think that's when you know you're kind of on the right path is when it's, it's more about a, f- a feeling rather than a thought. Yep. Mm. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I guess going into a bit of the nutrition for your adventures. Uh, mm. So we've already mentioned you, you've done quite lengthy multi-day running adventures so the one that you just mentioned where you were running for over five months straight um in those adventures how did you come to think about nutrition and and recovery or how do you think about it now um in terms of doing those those long haul runs Well, now I don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like I really don't, like I don't really, like I think of the last project I did, one of the last things, I think the, I think the last running project I did was uh, the Heysen Trail in South Australia. So oh, it was beautiful. a, a 1,200 kilometre trail, um, 14, 14 days, I think I did it, something like that, maybe 13, I can't remember. Um, but um, I went into that. One of the last things on my preparation for that was think, thinking about food. Yeah. Which might see be concerning for two people like you that come from <laughs> the sports nutritional world. But for me, it's like, well, that's actually the least of my worries. Yeah. And of all the things that can happen in any one adventure, food's just not, I know I can, I could do the whole trip without food yeah. in theory, right? I'm not going to yeah. die. It's going to be massively uncomfortable and I'm going to be not starving. But, you know, I, I, so I don't overly think about, about food. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if we go back to that first project along the National Trial of Australia, I, um, I mean, I engage Alan's services for that, mm. about being the, the first one. Like, what? how do I do this? Like, how do, do I need to think about all, all these things? And look, he certainly put things in place that I guess I perhaps w- wouldn't have done. But I think once I understood, I guess, that that plan on a, you know, on a very, not even a detailed plan, just understood the, the basics of it, I really realized that it was just about eating food. Yep. which is the same for my day-to-day life. Like <laughs> nothing really changes, right? Like I always, always find it amazing how athletes, and again, I'm probably speaking out of turn here because you guys are in this space, but I always think to myself, you know, like you got these different runners that I come across and they're thinking about every micronutrient and, and timings and how and millage of liquids and stuff. And I go, but when if if you're a tradesman, right, and you dig trenches all day, which is pretty, you know, like that's a that's a strenuous amount of work to dig a trench for eight, eight hours a day, and sometimes longer. I'm pretty sure they don't think about how much oil they've drank, if they've got do caffeine, you know, all these different things. They just have eat when they're hungry and drink when they're thirsty, mm. and keep it really really simple. Yeah, is it op- is it optimal? Well, it depends on how you put that word. You know, take that word, I guess. But mm. uh, well, yeah. They survive and get and get through life, and it's and it's it's fine, right? They get they get through through the day. So, I always think about it like that. I just think, just what is it in layman's terms like? It just mm. if you're hungry, you eat. If you're not, you don't eat. You know, if you're thirsty, yeah. you drink water. Like I think, you know, in, we know intuitively what we need need to do, but for some reason, I think people try and look further out than that, and I think that's when they get. I just think things get complicated. 
to, oh, that's exactly the word I was about to use is I think that, yeah, you're, you're right. I think a lot of people can overcomplicate nutrition as a lot as well. And, um, and sometimes, and we've talked about this on, on a whole range of different topics is that often, as you said earlier, that the practical aspects or the logistical aspects of what you're doing to a large extent is going to dictate what's possible anyway. And so, you know, you can try and plan everything out to a T but if the, the situation doesn't allow it, the situation doesn't allow it. And, you know, we were talking off air before, you know, when you did that Bicentennial National Trail, obviously you're um, living out of a, basically a camper van and, you know, pretty limited facilities in terms of cooking and but also storing food. And so you're then relying on whatever towns or whatever's available within, you know, a drivable distance um, to, to source you know, more food along the way. And we're saying off, offline earlier how you had um, a situation where I think a butcher had donated you something like five kilos worth of sausages and you got this tiny little bar fridge and five kilos of sausages and only two of you on the trip and you've got five kilos of sausages. So it's like, well, I guess we're just eating sausages for the next week. Um, so, you know, you kind of, um, you're locked in by your circumstances to a large extent. And as you said, there's other times where you're off on the middle of a trail for three, four, five days with just what you've got on your back. So Yeah, I should, I should have gone to Bunnings to start a sausage sizzle with that many sausages. <laughs> we made a lot of money for charity with those. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Except there's probably no Bunnings out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there isn't. Yeah, look, and yeah, and you know, and logistically, I mean, even even carrying nutrition becomes a challenge for me too, right? Yeah. So as much as I, I want to eat normal food, I can't carry like, you know, a roast dinner and sandwich and, you know, some corn, corn chips and breakfast soup. Like you just can't carry that for weeks mm. at a time, particularly mm. in some of the projects I've done where I haven't been alone, mm. carrying camping equipment, cooking equipment. And on top of that, you got to carry water uh, and all the food that, that you require. So mm. then you go, well, this is where I do need to turn to sports nu- nutrition because it's just practical. Mm. that I can get a lot of calories in through a little packet of gel or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then that's also a challenge because I'm not sure if anyone out there Mm. has done 15 gels a day for five months, but, you know, Mm. it's not a nice experience. Mm. So, you know, it becomes really, really challenging. You know, you get over um, just the taste of some of those more practical nutritional things. And I'm sure people experience that in um shorter events you know mm. half marathons and marathon events just go look i'm doing three gels or four gels or whatever they're doing and just going uh you know because yep. they're not that nice well at least i, I don't think they are yeah um, yeah definitely but they are practical too. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think you know your other point there in terms of you know how much focus do you put on sort of what you're eating and drinking um whether it's while you're running or or as we're talking about today sort of afterwards in the recovery period is is very much dependent on the goal so as you said you know your goals was to complete these trails but you weren't trying to you know beat 15 other people who were also doing it at the same time by you know three seconds or something like that so from that perspective obviously the goals are a little bit different whereas someone who's you know trying to win an olympic medal or something obviously they're going to want to you know leave no stone unturned in order to do that so they're going to obviously explore that in a lot more detail but i think also uh, it's it's then taking a step back and looking at what your goals are and and are we becoming too obsessive with it for the goal that we have like if you're um you know, an amateur runner or triathlete or something and you're doing an event to raise money for charity, do you really need to worry about the last gram of protein or, flu- you know, mill of fluid or carbs or whatever if your goal is just to make it to the finish line as opposed to the person who's the professional who's trying to win it because that's their career or something like that? 
Yeah, um, yeah. I think um, you know, going back, you know, I can't remember the last time I did a, a marathon, like a marathon event. Um, maybe Melbourne Marathon, maybe back in, I don't say, 2010, maybe, maybe. Um, I think that was my best marathon time, and I went into that with not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Previous to that, I'd done mar- like a marathon event, a road marathon event, and thought about it. And I think that's the mistake some people take as newbies as well, overthink the whole process. Like running is just, run- it's like it's the most simplest thing in the world, right? You don't even need any special equipment. You don't need a time of the day. You don't need other people. You don't need a team. You can do it anywhere in the world, any time of the day. Mm-hmm. You don't need an oval. Like, you know what I mean? You literally just, it's it's walking, but it's a little bit quicker. I mean, really, that's what it is, right? Um, and I find that when people start running and they come to me with questions, they just overcomplicate the whole thing from shoes to the training to, you know, how they're supposed to breathe to, and again, the whole nutritional thing. And I go, but, you know, do you think about that when you go for a walk? No. You did a 20K walk with your dog? Did you, did you overthink it like this? The right shoes, the right nutrition, the amount of fluid you're going to drink? No. You went for a 20K, 20K walk with your dog. You had a bit of trail mix, a long route, and you stopped and had a, a, you know, a long black. <laughs> and that's as far as it went. And to some degree, I think that's how you should sort of go into stuff. At least that's the way I go into stuff. I just go, well, it just, and particularly over the long haul, because, you know, and you're doing like uh, weeks or months in, in a project, like, it just has to be normal. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to get up and have your breakfast and then you have lunch, then you have dinners. You know, I think the only difference I make in that process is that the volumes are just greater. Mm-hmm. I'm just eating more breakfast and I'm eating more dinner just to take the, the cat. It's not even the carries that I think I need. It's the carries that my body tells me it needs. Like I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat more. Yeah. And literally, that's that's my entire thought thought process and, and on these things. You know, mm. I think it's it's about putting everyday life into whatever sport it is that that you do. I think I don't think you can go in, particularly into an endurance sport, and and use it as a, ho- a hobby. I think a hobby is the one the wrong way to look at it. I think it needs to be part of your life. It's a lifestyle. And if it's a lifestyle, then you just do it the same as you do your life, right? Which is, well, I go out for dinner and we make lasagna on a Friday and it's fish and chips Wednesday or whatever the case may be. And I think that's, that's okay. That's enough. And it just makes things a hell of a lot, a lot easier too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you did, um, I guess, those, the, the long runs, um, you got, you know, Alan, I guess, on, on board and, was the plan there, obviously, as you mentioned, you only had a certain amount that you can obviously carry um, logistically. Um, so I guess the, the thought there was get Alan, you worked out an estimated, you know, what Rich may roughly need and then how does that fit in with the logistics for him? You know, what's the weight that he's happy to carry? Um and then, and then, obviously, you then did that planning with okay, well, recovery, nutrition. You know, these are kind of the goals that I've got in terms of even if Rich doesn't know, these are the goals I've got for getting in his protein, carbs, fluid, just to be able to help keep him going. Um, and that's obviously, you know, your part in in helping him be able to be able to keep going. And then for you, Rich, you've got so many things that you need to think about. You probably just are like okay tell me what I've got to do and I'm just going to get through this because it's just going to help me get keep moving 
Mm. Yeah. I think with that first project, uh, the Bicentennial National Trail, you know, the, the distances for that were generally were about 35 to 45 k's a day, roughly. Yeah. Um, and so we say only 35 to 45 mm. k's a day. Um, but, but the reality was that, you know, most days you were finishing by sort of lunchtime or not long after lunchtime. And so you had the whole afternoon to do that recovery process. And you're often in the middle of nowhere in a camper van. Um, it's not like you're going out having meetings or meeting up with friends or things like that. I mean, obviously there were media bits and pieces or going into town and resupplies and all that kind of thing. But it did give you, you know, plenty of time to do that kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously when you're in a scenario where you've got pretty limited cooking facilities, uh, limited availability, you know, so much you can carry with you at, at one time. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we certainly didn't overcomplicate it. And because there was plenty of time to have those sort of, you know, lunch, afternoon snack, dinner, maybe a snack before bed, depending on the scenario, we didn't have to overcomplicate it. Whereas, you know, something like um, the, the Israel run where it's like 85 k's a day, different scenario because you're out there for maybe 10 or 15 hours a day. Mm. And so the, the amount of time you've actually got to eat either side of running is, is much more limited. And so that's where I guess particularly if you're in a, a competitive scenario where you're trying to absolutely optimise everything, um, or say like a Pat Farmer who went pole to pole, so 13 months of doing that, um, it's going to become far more important to plan in that because if you don't, the accumulated effect of poor recovery of not eating enough or the right things in that post-exercise period when the window is so small is going to accumulate over that amount of time and come back to bite you eventually. Um, and, and, you know, anyone who's read Pat's book, um, you can you can kind of see that happening throughout that, that experience. Um, and he just sort of got through that on, um, you know, basically perseverance and, and grit rather than, um, you know, great nutrition or, or planning or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say, Rich, with you, we, we didn't really plan that to any detail because we knew you were going to eat a normal lunch, you're going to eat a normal dinner, and that would give you the protein, the carbs, the fluid that you needed anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we didn't really have to overcomplicate it any more than that. Yeah, and even Israel to some degree I didn't find was com- complicated. Mm. I think, I think if I remember rightly, really what you sort of put in place was the normal food and then supplementing that with supplements, with protein powders and whatever we did, right? Different yeah. shake, recovery shakes and stuff, you know, just just convenient stuff to, to take. And I'm sure, you know, that looking back on that, if we had the time in Israel, then you'd probably take the, the recovery shake out and add some more real food, you know. Mm. Um but again, you know, in Israel, you know, I was spending multiple days alone. So, you know, to to carry sufficient normal food, again, is just not practical. Um, so, um, yeah, I just found there was more more sports nutrition, mm-hmm. which was mm. shit, to be honest. But um, <laughs> So thanks, Alan. I'll get back to yeah. you now. Well, yeah. I think that, I mean, the, the very first one, um, we, we, you pretty much could have done it with no sports nutrition, apart from some of the things you know, while you're running, because you're always or almost always coming back to the camper van. But, I mean... You, you obviously had sponsorship on that one, so we had product available and we sort of incorporated that in. But had you not had that sponsorship and, and that access to product, we probably wouldn't have needed to, to buy it. We would have just used normal food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we had a lot of stuff. Then we had boxes mm. and boxes of stuff, so we did use it. Yeah, forget about that. But yeah, you know, again, this just not complicated. This, mm. It was really quite simple, you know. And I'm sorry if listeners think I'm a bit blase about it, but it's just kind of how I roll, you know, with mm. a lot of things, in fact. But um. But food is definitely, um, I mean, I love food. Like I'm a big foodie. Like I eat a lot. If, if, give me the op- opportunity, I'll always overeat. 
it's just fact. Um, but you know, but when it comes to the sports, I just don't, I just don't overthink it. Like I often don't eat before runs, after runs, long runs. I don't necessarily think recovery, eat, um, drink enough fluid. Like I, I just don't operate like that, and I tend to be okay. Could it could it be better? Perhaps. Would my performance be better? Would I recover more quickly as I'm getting older? Perhaps. I mean, but um, you know, but quite regularly it will be you know a weekend run, and I'll I'll meet my partner at a coffee shop that's thirty kilometers away. You know, yep. and I'll I'll run down there, and the first thing I do when I hit the cop the co- coffee shop is order coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Just give me the just give me the long macchiato. Thank you very much. You know, right? yeah. That's, and and then and then I don't even think about water necessarily unless I'm thirsty. Yeah. Um. So um. Yeah. I just I just go generally about around how I feel, and if I feel like I need something that's sweet, I do sweet. If I feel like something salty and meaty, then I, I do that. Yeah. Um. If I if I if I'm thirsty, I drink water, and it's pretty. That's about as far as my uh, nutritional intake goes. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean to to the kind of running that you're doing, it's probably, um, you know, it's, it's obviously big volume at times, but it's not massively. It's not like you're going out and doing massive, you know, high intensity intervals or hill repeats or mm-hmm. track sessions or any of that kind of stuff. So I guess you know that particular type of running um, is probably geared towards being able to do a lot of your recovery in that that kind of way unless there's a specific issue like someone has a gastrointestinal issue or food allergy or, or as i said they're professional and they're trying to get the absolutely nth degree out of everything uh, i guess when you add some of those other factors in then then maybe you have to plan it a bit more um in detail or if someone's in you know a, a training plan where they suddenly ramp up the volume massively overnight then you know maybe that that sense of how i feel um, is a little bit out of step with you know, the other training that they're doing, um, but yeah, for you know your day to day running and that kind of thing, uh, and as you said, you know, um, for for your kind of training and, and for a lot of um, particularly recreational runners out there, that's probably as as complicated as it needs to be. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yeah. yeah, but hey, I'm not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you in those um, events uh, that you were doing? Have you ever struggled? I guess with um, with your appetite and getting things down or gastrointestinal issues that you had and then you just couldn't get, you know, get nutrition in? Can you remember any sort of key key events with that or you were you pretty much trotted yeah, along I'm pretty good. okay? I'm pretty much good to go with anything. I can't really remember any times I was, nah, not really. Mm. Well, not, not even not really. No, not, not at all. Like I just, I can pretty much eat. Any, I'm lucky like that. Yeah. I can eat anything at any time of the day. Yeah, I can get up and have you know something. I can get up and have Vindaloo for bre- breakfast. Yeah, you know, at five thirty. Yeah, and then but the thing is, I wouldn't, but yeah. I could. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't want to do that and go out for a run just because you know just repeating on you, you know, yeah. burping so would be awful. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've I've noticed that when I've done like you know a chicken parma for lunch. Yeah. And then gone out for a run sort of late afternoon and yeah. have it repeat repeat on me. Yeah. Doesn't affect my run as such, but it's just not nice mm. to have that come up, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of taste of cheese and <laughs> chicken <laughs> chips or whatever, <laughs> and a side salad, and then probably a couple of beers. That's probably what did it actually was the couple of beers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm really fortunate like that. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think if there is any any time. No, I don't think there is. There just it becomes times when I've just get as I said before, get sick of sports nutrition. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just put it in that, you know, salty, sticky, sweet, whatever Mm. that mixture is. Just, Mm. it's just not, you know, it's practical, but it's just not, it's just not enjoyable at all. You know, and I think sometimes on these long runs, I like to look forward to perhaps something. Yeah. So even if I'm not hungry or feel like I need any fuel intake, I will look forward to maybe putting something in in an hour's time. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to know what that is. It's like, oh yeah, that's a, you know, it's a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yum. You know, mm-hmm. versus oh, that's a strawberry gel. Mm, mm. Can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it's interesting you say that. Our, our last athlete guest was Leah Kirchman, who's a, a pro cyclist from Canada, um, but but races mostly in Europe and. Um, we're talking about some of the stuff that she makes to take out on rides with her, and it's it's pretty damn impressive. Um, some of the stuff they make, and again, it's that you know, well, you can, you know, you need to, in her case, where you're doing like really high intensity efforts and and that kind of thing, you want to absolutely get every bit out of it. I mean, she's she's going to the Olympics, but awesome. um, at the end of the day, you've got to enjoy what you're eating while you're out there on the bike for hours at a time. And so, you know, for her, a lot of the cooking and the preparation, she puts the effort into that because. You know, she ends up getting the same nutrients, but a lot more enjoyment and satisfaction out of it than just going gel bar, gel bar, drink gel bar. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's it's it, look, it's a hard one. It's a hard, at least I know for the the, the long stuff. Like, cause because in some ways, not having to think about food is a good thing. Yeah. Just go. Yep. The, the alarm goes off on the watch or whatever you can do these days, and you can just go. Okay, there goes the gel, and just keep moving. Right. Yeah. Don't think about it. You know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, sometimes you want to think about it and look forward to something. So, okay, the next milestone, awesome. I get to unwrap whatever this thing is that I made, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. hopefully you, you sometimes dream up that it's a beautiful lamb roast dinner, mm. big leg of lamb with all the vegetables and stuff. And it's not, it's just a cheese and Vegemite sandwich. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just nice to be able to look forward to something. I think. To things, Yeah. Okay, so you've been involved, um, so we've talked about, I guess, re- recovery kind of generally, but you've been involved, I guess, in a couple of scenarios where uh, I guess what you're, what's available eating and drinking-wise is far from optimal for a variety of reasons. And I guess the first one was a laboratory study you were involved with back in 2015, I think it was, um, and you actually completed a full simulation of a self-sufficient multi-stage ultramarathon, like a marathon to Saab kind of scenario mm-hmm. on a treadmill. Uh, in the lab, in a heat chamber, uh, and the reason that that you, or the reason that that study was happening, was to look at the question that we'd kind of raised previously about, you know, when you do those kind of events, as you said before, you got to carry everything on your back, and is it better to carry more but cop a bit of a weight penalty for that, or um, but you get more nutrition, or you carry less and you get um, suboptimal nutrition? I guess you kind of skimp on it a little bit. So it was a real opportunity to do a direct comparison of those things with kind of objective measurements along the way, standardise the exercise, all of those kind of things. Um, and so in that particular study, in one case, you know, um, Beck, who was um, the the honor student who was sort of running that study sort of calculated out theoretically what you would need in the perfect world and gave you that in one trial. And then you came back a couple of months later um, and did the same, but everything was literally halved, um, including obviously what you're having sort of post-exercise and, and in recovery. When you sort of think back and compare the two scenarios, obviously, you know, you could tell whether you were eating half of what it was or, or double. Um, how did you feel? feel with the half did you was it a noticeable difference you know when you're on the treadmill um having literally eaten half of what you would have otherwise 
Well, first of all, can we just get out there that you made that um, research project, look, you, you glamorized it. And I ran 50Ks a day on a treadmill on a heated tent, staring at a lab wall, <laughs> basically for two With weeks straight. With a rectal probe? Sorry? Did you have the rectal thermometer? With a rectal I had, probe. The thing is, in, as you guys know, in that lab environment, you can't do anything without someone having eyes on you, right? It's like, oh, I really need to poop. <laughs> oh, great. Here's a bucket. Just jump off the treadmill, go in there. We're gonna make, we're gonna watch it happen, and then and stick this up your bum and whack this in your ear, and yeah, yeah. Um, and just boring as hell, right? Just just happen every single day. Um, but food wise, yeah. So that was um, that was interesting, probably more mentally than physically for me. Um, I what I did know is that when I was had optimal amount of nutrition, I struggled to eat it all. Mm. I constantly mm -hmm. felt over full like 24 mm. hours a day mm. you know before i went to bed when i woke up i was still full and i have all this food that was you know measured out scientifically based on my requirements and just trying to eat that i struggled and struggled and struggled so actually i look forward to getting on the treadmill just to try and run some of that sort of feeling of podginess off but then quickly i'd have to replace it again with more nutrition so you know i, I felt like i was way more sluggish with the optimal amount of food um and just not in a happy space mentally with that just because it's just massively un uncomfortable um i guess on the flip flip side having half the amount of food um i mentally i was constantly thinking about food it was a complete complete opposite um i wake up hungry i go to sleep hungry um i, I guess the only time i wasn't really hungry was when i was on the treadmill doing the activity itself um but what I found was mentally, I found it easier, and it might be going for a little bit off topic here, but mentally I found it easier not having um, enough food because I found that to occupy my mind through the whole run, I'd think about food. <laughs> and not because I was, not necessarily because I was hungry, but I'd be thinking about the concoctions I could make up when this, this research project was over. You know, mm -hmm. what sort of things could I, I was coming with all sorts of different flavored chips and, you know, be really creative, you know, which made the days go a lot quicker because, you know, it's just so boring. Um, mm. So, yeah, but I was definitely thinking, um, yep, sorry, I was definitely hungry out, outside the running hours. And um, I had to sort of get home and just lock myself in the bedroom and just try and go to sleep because I knew I wanted mm. to just go into the kitchen. Um, and it got to a point where I feel I feel like you know it was, it was at least by day three, which I think in the the MDS the event itself, I think on day three people start to steal each other's food, I believe, um, mm. and I definitely felt that by by day three I was like I, if there's no food in my kitchen right now and I and I could access it, I would probably just break into the neighbors and steal something, and as and as crazy as that sounds, that was the thought the thought process. So I was mm. consciously locking myself away and just going straight straight to sleep and just trying to not think about it. But it was really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I'm not sure you know, how much you remember about the physical side of things. And I think one of the measurements in the study was uh, how long mm. you sort of had to stop running and walk for a period of time Walking. to kind of recover. Uh, and from memory, that was, um, I think, 15 or 20 minutes out of the five hours more with the half nutrition compared to the full nutrition. Um, and I totally take your point about the, you know, feeling more uncomfortable. And I think, um, you know, what we were doing with the, the full nutrition was sort of calculated to the, like, completely replacing every last calorie that you were going to use, which is not how we would do it in the real world. Um, we would probably 
you know, we'd try and hit some guidelines maybe around carbohydrate, around protein, but we wouldn't have to get all of those calories. And, and so you probably end up eating, I don't know, maybe 80% of that, 75% of that, something like that, which sounds like it probably would have been the optimal compromise for you thinking about yeah. it. Well, also we forget that was, I was having to carry that, that weight as well, right? That's right. So in that, mm. that first week where you've got like optimal nutrition, that pack is, I can't remember the weight, but it was heavy from, you know. It's about it looks, five kilos heavier than the other. Yeah. So yeah. you look forward yeah, to like the day kilos. ending because, you know, the next day a little bit of weight comes out, which is the, the, mm. the food that you've eaten, mm. right? Um, but, you know, again, on the flip side of that is that you put a pack on that's re- relatively light when you've only got half the amount of nutrition. Which was what the study was about, right? It was trying mm. to find out what's mm-hmm. the op- the optimal. Because even the, the challenge in my projects too is that if I carry too much food, then it's more weight and, and that means I need more calories. So it's like, mm. so if I carry more, that means I need more again. So it's kind of really quite hard to try and figure out what the best amount is to take at times. And mm. there's, there's, there's certainly times where I've not had enough. But, you know, I don't really think about it too much. It's like, well, there isn't enough. So tomorrow's just, you know, one of those days. <laughs> and, and I think that's a, a good segue into the, the next experience we're going to talk about, which is the, the one in, in Calcutta where, you know, not enough is probably an understatement for a large chunk of that. Um, now, I wasn't involved in that project, but can you tell us a little bit about the, the project, what it was, and then I guess from a, a food point of view, what that meant for you over the, the time that you were there? So I... Um, so back into 2019, I, I went and lived and worked as what they call a hand-pulled rickshaw waller. And that is, you've probably ha- heard of a, an auto rickshaw or a cycle rickshaw if you've traveled and stuff. So basically what a, a hand-pulled rickshaw is, it's, it's basically a two-seated wooden cart that's pulled by a man on foot. And generally it's a, a, an old, weary, barefooted man um, on the very bottom end of the, uh, you know, the poverty scale. And... Um, and so I went. I went and did that that job. I lived on the streets, uh, and I worked as a hand pulled rickshaw waller. And they try and earn about two dollars a day, um, Australian. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it does. Um, and I did that. I did that project um, not really for a physical or even mental um, challenge. Really, it was more that I got to a point where I've done these ginormous runs. And experienced all sorts of things from farmers with shotguns to missiles to erupting volcanoes and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and I felt like I'd learned a lot about me and my internal world. In fact, it's the work I do I do now. I work with a whole bunch of psychological people and unpack everything that I do. And I, and I felt like I was in a place where I could now go into a new environment and understand how those people perhaps overcome, in this case, um, you know, the challenges of living on the streets, adversity at its best, right? Um, and how do they operate in that environment? So I was, I was able to go into that environment and be somewhat comfortable in a very uncomfortable environment. You know, you're sleeping with rats. Um, there's thebes throughout the night. You're sleeping on the streets. You're in constant pollution. Um, you know, there's no toilets. So, you know, so that tells you where you need, you need to go to the toilets when you live on the streets, right? You go on the street. Mm. Um, there's all the nasties uh, that are out in, in those environments. And then you're trying to earn enough money just to get, to get by. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a really, really, really challenging environment, but I was somewhat comfortable in that environment. And that gave me the ability now to look into the strategies and I guess 
the tools and the insight into how these people deal with that adversity. How do they overcome those day-to-day challenges and somewhat still smile, which I found incredible. So that was really why I went into that project. So how these guys operate is that they we 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 start work at five thirty, so we'd get up at like four four a.m. Um, it'd, it'd be dark, and then those guys would go off to to the temple to pray, uh, and then they'd come back, and then we'd we'd wash. Washing was a big part of the, the morning, and then we'd get our rickshaws and we'd head off to the train station to get the first pa- passengers coming into the city, and um, and then we'd work anywhere between i guess eight hours to 14 hours depending on you know the amount of fares that you could get um and then we would uh, come back to our our street corner and um and someone would go and do the shopping at the market come back and they would all cook a meal together and that generally consisted of um some sort of curry um generally it was um vegetarian um, and it's vegetarian for two reasons. One is that because it's cheaper, of course. Um, mm. But the second thing also is that uh, there's a, there is a lot of vegetarians. If you're if you're Hindu, for example, you're a vegetarian. Um, and that would come with a huge amount of bread. I don't remember even having rice once. In fact, it was all this handmade bread from scratch, and there would be copious amounts of that um, because obviously it's very cheap. But to see it being made freshly every time and having this big stack of sort of nam breads is just incredible and amazing and very filling. So I always used to go to, to bed feeling full and, and never hungry at all. Um, but again, it's an environment where food is not on the top of the priority list for those guys. The first, the thing you constantly think about is just earning enough money. So food doesn't really come into it. That's not, that's not priority because unfortunately, you have to earn enough money just to be able to sleep on the street. Because the street's always owned by somebody. If it's mafia, I still don't know who looked after our past part of the, the street, right? But I, we had to pay somebody every single day. And if you didn't, you weren't going to be on that corner or on that part of the street. And then you couldn't find a different part of the street because someone else is going to be asking for, for money, right? Then all the rickshaws are rented. So you have to pay someone for the rickshaw rental too. Now, you've got to bear in mind, when you're only $2 a day and most of that's taken up by sleeping on the streets, paying for that accommodation and going to rental it doesn't bear thinking about the food part like just forget that mm. um so you know throughout the day you'd be like counting the pennies and going wow okay now i've got enough to sleep on the street tonight so that's exciting and then you carry on working for a few more hours you go damn boom awesome i've clocked now i can pay for the, r- the rickshaw now you can start getting excited about food <laughs> you know what I mean? mm. and that could be 12 hours into the day um but it doesn't really doesn't really enter your into your, your thought process food's just like if that happens, it happens, you know. Um, it's not like, and again, you weren't hungry and we ate quite regularly. So, you know, once each day and it was enough. Mm. Um, just need, just interesting insight, you know. I think, I think for me at least, I think your mental state plays a huge part in your food intake. Um, you know, in that, again, in that, in that um, project there, like just wasn't, just not something I thought about was food. There's too much mm. other stuff to worry about. Being robbed, rats crawling over you, mm. not having enough money just to sleep, you know. Um, mm. Don't worry about food. Yeah. And so it sounds like the uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle from what you're describing. Essentially, they're earning enough money to have the right to exist to then earn enough money to, again, exist for the next day and then the next day. Yeah, absolutely. 
Mm. Yeah, that's exactly how, how it rolled. It's just, it's a life almost of non-existence. You know, you just, mm. as you say, just paying to exist and that's not really much of a life at all. Um, mm. Yet they do find an immense amount of beauty in, in life and in, in the world, believe it or not. Um, mm. It's just the way they go about their, their life is just pretty incredible, really. You know, yeah. and, and also when you, when, you are, when you do get the opportunity to eat, it's not prepared in the most cleanliest of environments, right? You'll get out this big block of wood that's had everything prepared on it from the herbs and spices um, to cutting up the chicken, which generally would have been a live chicken and someone's plucked it and good at it and stuff. Mm. And then it'll just get wiped with a bit of water and that water comes out of the river. And I went down mm. to the river where I used to wash and you'd see dead cows floating down the river and stuff, right? So you're washing mm. the, the, the preparation board with this water. There's rats screwing around that board. Then you got the guy making the dough on that board for the bread, and he's just been to the 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 bathroom. Well, there isn't a bathroom because you have to go to the toilet on the street. And if you wash your hands, you're only using the water that comes on the river, right? So it's just this cycle of just nasty stuff. Um, but really, when it get when it gets to that that point where you're able to eat, you're probably not really thinking about the uh, the hygiene. You're just gonna gonna eat it. But then my fear was, I guess, in the evenings was like, well, if this becomes a problem, all this bacteria in my stomach where do you have diarrhea like because it's literally just mm. where you're sleeping it's kind of crazy right mm. um mm. so yeah just not the, the nicest of environments to uh prepare food and, and and have food but you know that's just what it is right you just have to mm. make do with what you have so you ate together like in you kind of had a bit of a community there is that right yeah absolutely yeah it's a bit of a community there so I was probably with, uh, let me a quick think. There's one, there's one guy I was kind of assigned to. He was my uncle. He was a 75-year-old man. Um, he's been pulling this rickshaw for, you know, since he was about 16, I think, something like that, his whole life. And he's, he's never going to get out of that. I mean, that's just, that's mm. what his life is. He, doesn't matter how hard he works, mm. he's not going to get out of that. Uh, and he was assigned to me on, on day one. And the, the, the people who have organized that said, oh, he's in, he's in charge because one, he's, he knows the go. Like he knows the streets, he knows the, uh, the dangers, he knows how to train you and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also he's there as a security guard. So he'll be sleeping at the bottom of your, your feet every night. So to warn off yeah. the, uh, the thieves and all the nasty people that might be out there. Mm. Considering as you stand out, like, you know, you know, beacon just this white guy sleeping on the streets and everybody else is brown people right so you kind of really stand out um and then there's probably half a dozen other guys um and everything was done as a com community apart from the work so you go off and do your work and everything was done as a community eating and socializing and all that was done together and generally what used to happen was if someone didn't earn enough m money everyone else would chip in so they had enough money so sometimes it, you might not make enough to to eat you might cover the yeah. the rent of the rickshaw and the street space um and are not are not enough to or maybe just enough to eat and then someone comes back for the day and they don't have enough money to pay for the the rental then that bit of money you had for food goes in for the rental um mm. to help them all, all survive so they do really work well together like that and they have to because you know you just yeah. you're gonna you're gonna sleep somewhere yeah at the very mm. least yeah, and mm. so it sounds like, like from what you described earlier about the food they're eating, 
I mean, I think from a recovery point of view, you can kind of see how it's going to work. I mean, the bread is going to give you obviously a fair bit of carbohydrate. And I think one of the underappreciated things with bread is it actually gives you a fair amount of protein as well. Often people think of bread as, as carbs and, and other things as protein, but you do get a, you know, particularly if you're eating a large quantity of it, you are going to get a decent amount of protein from bread as well. And so, you know, from that point of view, I mean, obviously it's probably not ideal that you're only having that once a day, but it, it is something and it is going to give you you know, some nutrition to help from a recovery perspective. As the week went on, though, how did things feel sort of physically for you? I mean, obviously, it's something that you're not accustomed to. So obviously, it's going to hurt a bit just because it's an unaccustomed activity. Um, but but how was how was the experience kind of physically as the week went on? Um, yeah, as the week on, it got better because you get used to sort of the schedule that you had and and that's the thing about these guys they have a schedule and they adhere to it they don't go off it at all for anything um which is a, a kind of a, a big insight you know at least in to the work environments you know that i go into and in coaching um you know the power of that but yeah physically i remember like day one and two back was hurting and stuff um legs a bit achy um but as much as i know you want to go down the physical side it was more mentally fatiguing because there's just mm. so much to consider um, because the streets are so chaotic. You know, it's not just the chaos of people, the amount of people, like the sea, ocean of people in marketplaces just going in all sorts of directions. Like it's, it'd be like leaving the MCG after a f- football game and then trying to, you know, cycle through the crowds. Like it's really, really hard. And then on top of that, you've got obviously traffic huge amounts of traffic coming in all different sorts of forms from trucks to, to carts and, you know, and people carrying stuff on their heads. And then you got wild, you know, uh, street dogs, I should say, running across and um, and you got chickens in the middle of the street. And then there's, then there's the potholes and the rubbish that gets left. And like, there's all this stuff going on that you know, mentally it just completely drains you. And you're going to worry about not knocking into people, not not hitting the trams that used to go past. Um so it was really more of a mental experience for me, unfortunately. I don't know you want to go down the physical path than it was <laughs> physical. But again, I think it's because I've done so much that I'm at a position where I'm actually quite fit and able to take that kind of stuff in my stride. Mm. Um, you know, I feel I feel physically strong and able. Um, and again, going into that project, I didn't really think that, that would ever be really a problem. In mm. some ways, I wish it was. I mean, but I mean, there was times when it would be ridiculously heavy. Um, and just trying to get the balance right and maneuver it around be really, really challenging. And I guess you do use those muscles that you don't generally use. Um, they get a real good workout. It's a huge workout. amount of weight that you're carrying. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. It was at yeah. times, you know. You didn't know what you're going to get, you know. That's like if you've got two people, well, potentially at 70 kilos, 140, and then you've got the rickshaw, which is, I'm not sure, yeah, the weight of that. wooden with metal, sort of metal, you know, wheels and stuff, a rickety old thing. Yeah, there's a bit of weight there. And you're doing that for potentially 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily constant. No. You know, it's not yeah. like you just finish one job and you get another job. There is a lot of waiting around at yeah. times. Um, mm. And that by itself is a bit of a, fi- a fine art, just rickshaw placement being in the right place to get mm. the right stream of traffic. You know, because there's a lot of rickshaw pullers. You know, it's not like it's just a dozen of us out, out there. There's a lot um, mm. across the city. So you're sort of competing. And I guess I got <laughs> I got stared down a bit because I'm like, hang on, you, you, you shouldn't be here competing with us. 
this is my job. Mm. You shouldn't have my, my mm. job. Um, mm. So that was a challenge by itself as well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, f- food-wise, pretty much once a day. Um, and if we did have the extra cash, we would go and get a really sweet tea, like a chai tea off the street. Mm-hmm. Um, super amounts of sugar in that, like syrup, mm-hmm. um, which was a treat, but also just an energy injection. Like you felt it go in as you drank it. You were like, oh, wow, I'm f- become a new person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's probably, you know, to some degree an example of, you know, getting better recovery on one day than another. Mm. You can kind of feel that difference. Okay. We're just going to keep sneaking in those <laughs> yeah. nutrition the part, I know. It's like he's not even talking about nutrition at all. We're just talking about his mental space. <laughs> so, so to wrap up the, uh, the, the Rickshaw Tactical Podcast, um, from putting together all your kind of running experiences, is, is there anything about nutrition that you've ever had to learn the hard way or things that have gone sort of horribly wrong where you look back and go, oh, geez, I should have done that differently? Um, not necessarily. I mean, my partner often say to me, you're one that will just move past stuff. Like something crazy might have happened and I just, I just, I just carry on. I just move on to the, ne- the next thing and I don't mm. really remember it because I just move through it. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the mistakes I made, this is probably more comical than it is probably serious for you guys, sorry, but, um, <laughs> is that along the National Trial of Australia, there is a lot of country pubs, like proper outback pubs, three people sort of be there at any one time. And there's a lot of like, um, I guess, farmers' houses you come across and just these huge, massive, you know, just they've got thousands and millions of acres around them. They're just in the middle of nowhere. And what generally used to happen is if I ever stopped today, a small town, village town, I'd always go into the pub because it's a good source of information for the next, you know, the next... Um, pile of land I'd be going across and who might own it and what sort of hazards there may be and if it's safe and stuff. Uh, and if I got to near a farmer's house, you know, obviously speaking to that to that guy too. But in both instances, it'd always be around beer. And the pub would always be the worst because you'd go in there and you'd say to the, the, the barman, you know, this is what I'm doing. Like, what? You're doing what? You're running five and a half thousand kilometers, what? Oh, and they'd just give you a beer just as a friendly stuff to do. But the time you finish that beer... Farmer Jack comes in and the barman says, hey, Jack, you know what this idiot's doing? The stupid pump's doing? Blah, 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 blah. Really? I'll buy him a beer. And then the minor guy comes in and it just, as you can see, it just goes, I'm right. So I had some enormous nights of alcohol and then getting up and running a marathon the next day, right? Now, the, the cool thing about that is, is that it was actually, I never used to wake up with a hangover because clearly I was burning all those, all that alcohol off mm. because because of the, the enormity of my, my adventures, right? So I'd wake up and go, wow, this is crazy. Like, I don't really remember going to bed, but yeah, here I am, 6 a.m., about to run for 42 kilometers, right? <laughs> so but where I've got caught out is that thinking that's okay to do in other instances when it's not. Like, like, mm. like last weekend, I probably had a few too many drinks. I got up in the morning, like I always do, regardless f- f- for my run. I'm like, but I'm at, out there, my heart's super elevated. It's trying to pump around this thick blood. I'm clearly dehydrated. And I'm struggling for the whole the whole thing, you know. And um, so it's not a good thing, right? You can't have these big nights and then try and perform at the same amount, you know. Um, at least when you're dehydrated and not not eating properly. So not not really a, a lesson as such, but um, but something I try to avoid now is is drinking and then trying to perform the next day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
All right. Well, I think we might move on to our bonus round now. To bonus finish round. Off. So, oh, really? Yeah. 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 So what is what is method. what is the bonus? The bonus is that the listeners get to learn more about. Oh, you. right. So bonus round. So so it's the listeners' bonus round. Yeah, yeah, well, well, it depends on, on your perspective, I guess. You you might think it's a bonus by the time you get to the end, or you might right, think let's see. it's a waste of time and we should cut Can these guys the off right episode. now. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'll pass over to Steph. <laughs> so if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, what would it be? Nothing. i do exactly what yeah. I'm doing right now. Definitely in the right mm-hmm. place. No regrets on anything that I've done, things I'm thinking about doing. Super happy with how things have turned out. Wouldn't change a thing. One of the things on your bucket list that you haven't yet done. Which is my next project, which is living on a giant landfill in Vietnam. Um, so be uh, living with a community that live on these giant landfills. Um, they build their, you know, their houses, if you want to call it that, on top of the landfill. They eat from the landfill and they try and find valuable things from the landfill to, to, to sell and make, make some money on. So, you know, I want to do that experience for a week, much like the, the rickshaw, but on this giant landfill. Wow. Awesome. Um, favorite post-exercise beverage, which you may have already answered. Coffee, maybe? Mm, depends. Oh, no, I didn't say. Yeah. No, I did say coffee before. Um, it, yeah. it often depends on what I feel like. To be quite honest. Yeah. Like I'm not yeah. going to go to coffee if I'm really thirsty. It's going to be water. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or something else similar to that. But there's no there's no set thing. I go. Oh yeah. When I finish, I do the you know the chocolate milk or whatever the case is. It's just whatever yeah. I feel like. Feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time, Richard. It's great to uh, catch up with you and, and hear a bit about what you've been doing um, and, and obviously how your nutrition has, has sort of fit into that. And as we said, there's obviously lots of different ways depending on what your goals are and, and what you're trying to achieve. Uh, you know, it depends on how, I guess, focused you need to be on the nutrition side of things. In some cases, incredibly so, and in some cases, you know, not really at all, and you can do it fairly intuitively or or, um, or relatively freestyle within some, some basic bits of information so thanks so much for your time and um best of luck with uh getting over to vietnam hopefully in the the near mm. future to um hang out on the landfill <laughs> hang out on the landfill <laughs> and eat some rubbish yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that'd be an interesting new interesting nutritional story for you yeah that actually yeah. will be yeah how i, yep. how I survived yeah. on dump food yeah mm. awesome yeah. thanks rich thanks guys All right, great to hear from Richard and his amazing adventures. Um, great to hear a little bit of nutrition in there along the way as well. Um, but obviously, you know, someone who, who focuses on, I guess, other aspects, nutrition's not the, the biggest priority in, in a lot of his, the stuff that he does. Um, but, you know, as we heard in there, you know, he t- tends to keep it fairly simple because he doesn't really need to overcomplicate it for the, the type of events he's doing. Um, but Steph, do you want to give us a, a bit of a summary, I guess, from both um, today's interview with Richard, but also what we talked about last week with Dr. Isabella Russo as well, in terms of wrapping up this this question of, you know, what should I eat and drink after um, a long training session or a race? Yeah, yep, sure. Um, so I guess now we consider in terms of when we're looking at recovery nutrition, um, we need to always think about what 
what's the purpose, obviously, of of the session and what's the goals then thereafter. Uh, and then once we know the answer to that, then that will help us in planning our recovery nutrition. Um, so, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, was it a, a quality session and is the aim for me to recover um, really well um, after because I've got another quality session soon or um, I simply just want to recover really well after? Um, or... Uh, do I, I had a quality session and I want to delay my recovery because I want to try and get some extra training adaptations. So that may mean that they are manipulating um, different parts of their nutrition. So they're purposely not getting in as much um, because they're wanting to optimize particular training adaptations. Uh, and we just want to be really purposeful when we do that. Um, and understand the reasons that we do it and not do it all the time because then it can become detrimental. Um, and so when then we are thinking about our recovery nutrition, we generally will now look at that in terms of what we would say are the five R's. Um, and so one of the R's we refer to as, I guess, um, Repair, so helping, uh, you know, with the recovery of the muscles, repairing and rebuilding and the enzymes. Uh, and that particular nutrient that we uh, normally talk about there is protein. Uh, and then with the recommendations of protein, I know we got a bit sciencey uh, and we, you know, we're sort of suggesting around anywhere from sort of 0.3 to 0.4 grams per kilo of someone's body mass. Um, but then Alan, you wrapped that up quite well after Bella's, um, uh, you know, talk, uh, that what that then corresponded to. So, you know, if we're talking about 20 or 30 grams of protein, um, it's, you know, it can be as simple as the palm size of your hand generally being meat, chicken or fish. Um, it could be like a smoothie, um, like a 600 mil, you know, flavored milk, um, you know, um, you can use your real food options. It doesn't need to be a whole heap of protein supplements. But again, depending on where we are and if we need convenience, then sometimes protein supplements may be um, needed, say, as an example, in some of the adventures that Rich did. Um, even though for the particular one we were covering, he didn't necessarily need it. But in some self-sufficient events um, or when you're needing something rapid where, let's say with Leah, um, when she has to go off to an interview after a race, uh, in those instances having like a protein supplement might be beneficial. Uh, and so then looking at the other R's, if we look at replenishment, um, uh, then we're talking more about your carbohydrate. Uh, and so, again, thinking about, well, what's that session been? How much fuel have I actually used up? Um, and then also, you know, how important is it for me to fully replenish that um, really quickly because I've got another quality session coming up? Or do I have like 24 hours or more um, and I don't need to be perhaps as rushed with this? Um, and again, if you think about different scenarios, if we've just got a race on one day and we don't have another one for a farewell, then you could probably be a little bit more relaxed with that. If you're in a multi-stage race 
and you need to keep backing up day after day, then you are going to be quite um, planned and um, rapid with that depending on what your goal is, but generally you will be. Um, And the carbohydrate intake sort of recommendations for that is between, again, a bit sciencey, um, 1 to 1.2 grams per kilo of body mass. Um, Mm. But, um, you know, again, if you're about 70, 70 kilo athlete, it's about 70 um, grams of carbohydrate. You can get that pretty easily in, say, having a, a sandwich and a yogurt and maybe even a banana. Uh, yeah. So then looking at rehydration, um, then that's the other another R. Then we're looking at your fluid um, and we're looking at the recovery aspect. So um, potentially looking there at what we tend to say is replacing about 150% of what we've lost um, and usually over the next four hours or so. Um, but as we sort of discussed briefly, obviously when you're doing big ultra events, some of that weight loss that we have is also going to be used from from fuel perspective as well. But as a guideline, about 150% of what we've lost, we want to try and replace that. Um, and that can be as easy as having water when you're having your food. In food, we've got macronutrients, we've got electrolytes, um, and so that can help us rehydrate quite well. Um, and then the other two R's that have been added in, I guess, more recently and from Isabella's work is looking at um, what we say is regulate um, and I guess regulate and restore. Um, so in those aspects, what we're doing is we're looking at um, helping keep the gut nice and patent and healthy um, and then also um, wanting to help the immune system recover. Um, and so really there's no huge changes in terms of the types of nutrients that we're necessarily talking about. So we're still wanting to get in protein and and your carbohydrates, but it's more so looking at how that's done in the recovery phase. So after you've finished exercising, if it's been quite a strenuous exercise session, then your gut may not be, I guess, feeling um as well as it would normally do when it's at rest it's kind of in that state when we're at rest um you know the gut's really readily wanting to digest and absorb when we've just done an exercise session it's still it's still kind of recovering and it might have even had some injury and disturbance to it so the best way then to approach nutrition in the immediate recovery period is to space out your nutrition intake Um, And perhaps that's having something every 15 or 20 minutes over the next hour Um, and just spacing it out so you don't give a whole heap in in one hit for the gut to try and handle. Um, And having something immediately after will then also help benefit the immune system. Um, So I guess that's the five R's um, and that's what we're always thinking about when we're working with athletes, Alan. Um, and looking at the nutrition and recovery nutrition, we're, we're thinking about, you know, um, all of those aspects um, of, of nutrition. Mm. And, and I was actually chatting to Ben Desro today, um, who 
was our guest on episode 11a around sort of beer and, and post-exercise and he's done a lot of that sort of post-exercise high, you know, rehydration work so looking at that aspect of recovery and um he, he was also talking about the fact that you know a lot of people talk about using chocolate milk as a post-exercise recovery drink but he made the point which i think is a really good one that it's a drink that fills you up very quickly so you're not likely to be able to drink a large volume of it you know, 600 mils for most people is about as much as they're going to tolerate. Whereas if you're having a water-based product, whether it's water itself, whether it's, you know, cordial or sports drink or whatever, you're much likely if you need to drink, you know, a litre or two over four hours, it's going to be much easier to do that from water-based beverages than it is from milk-based beverages. Um, And so, well, you know, milk on its own, if you had to choose a single product that gives you carbohydrate and protein and fluid in the one package is kind of perfect from that perspective um, in terms of getting the volume in and the fact that you can combine things in the real world uh, may not always be the optimal thing or people's probably optimal choice um, it, or it might be that you have that immediately and then you follow that up with water-based fluids afterwards um, mm-hmm. something like that yep Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Steph. That's a, a great summary. Uh, and as we heard today with with Richard, obviously, you know, depending on your scenario, depending on your goals, depends on how, uh, I guess, planned or structured you need to be with that recovery. Um, and as you said, you know, Leah Kirchman is a good example of that being a pro cyclist where there's a lot going on in that post-exercise period. And there's... Um, a need to optimize recovery to the nth degree. And so there's a lot of planning that's involved in her nutrition. Whereas for Richard, uh, he has a lot more more time available. Um, he's got a lot more control over what he's doing and a lot more flexibility. So he doesn't need to structure it as much and he can meet those goals without having to really give it too much um, thought or, or you know specific planning. Mm. So yeah, yeah, just I guess for all the listeners out there, think about you know where you sit on that spectrum uh, in terms of how important recovery is on any given day um in, in terms of each of those r's um and then the, what are the logistical potential barriers that might stop you from achieving that and that'll give you a bit of a sense of, of how i guess structured you need to be with your recovery or not yeah and i think it's also you know i'm sure it would have been peace of mind as well for richard in terms of all like you know although he didn't necessarily have to be as specifically planned in certain regards because it was similar to what he would typically eat um he didn't know that so that's why he reached out to you and you Mm. then needed to crack those numbers to work it out um and you know like that's important as well um so I think that just would have given him a peace of mind to be like oh well okay this will help me get through um Yep. So, yeah, so I think that's a, a benefit too of, of just, yeah, do, sort of assess, like especially if you're doing something that massive, you want to be sure on all aspects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, five and a half months of running, we had to look at all different aspects. I mean, his mm-hmm. recovery nutrition is part of his daily diet for five months. So mm-hmm. it has to tick all the boxes in terms of, you know, vitamins and minerals and fibre and all those kind of things as well as just the you know, the, the five R's that we talk about because it is literally his his day-to-day intake for five and a half months. So you can develop a nutrient deficiency within that time. You could develop horrible constipation, constipation within a week <laughs> or two if you didn't have enough fibre in there. Mm. And so, you know, you have to factor all of those things in. And, uh, you know, 
Richard's also lucky in the sense that he doesn't really tend to get any sort of GI issues or anything mm. like that, and he can eat pretty much anything. Um, so, you know, tolerance isn't a big issue for him to overcome either. So not only is that that scenario logistically uh, not a, a particularly difficult one to plan around, but he didn't have any of those kind of other sort of individual barriers, I guess, that some people will face. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right, well, I think that wraps us up for this topic of recovery optimization. So um, that brings episode 14b to a close. Uh, if you have a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, we'd love to hear from you, any feedback that you have, um, encouragement, words of discouragement, um, <laughs> constructive feedback would be nice though. Um, and yeah, any, any questions you want answered on the podcast, we've, we've had a few come through in recent weeks, which is great. And as I've mentioned, I think on last week's podcast, we've got some plans afoot for some of those, but, uh, just trying to tie down guests at the moment, uh, with Olympics coming up is a, a little bit of a challenge, but we'll get there. Mm, we'll anyway, have some Steph, exciting ones after. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Definitely some really good ones planned that, that I think you and I are both looking forward to to chatting to some particular guests around. Uh, but next week is obviously episode 15A. Steph, do you want to tell us what our topic is and who will be doing that? <laughs> yeah, so um, topic 15A, we are going to be talking to our wonderful selves, Alan, you and I. I know. <laughs> um, everyone is excited. Uh, and we're covering off the topic because we, we've spoken about how Rich kind of also covered what, you know, bits of what we'll be talking about in the next episode, which is looking at how do I tackle um, a, you know, a self-sufficient um, event in terms of nutrition. Um, you know, there's all kinds of um, logistics with that. Um, you know, you've got uh, pack weight that you need to consider um, and um, and there's a huge range of events you know where you can be running through the desert you could be running in the south pole um, so you know environmental conditions can be really varied so we thought it'd be really good to to do a session of some of the things that should be considered um, when you're entering into those events um, to hopefully help you have a su successful event and to minimise any risk of um, of health or, you know, gut complications. Mm. And it's just having a quick flick back through, this is actually something that was requested uh, via someone on Facebook, Megs, oh, uh, quite yes. a while ago about sort of self-sufficient events. And obviously there's quite a lot of those sort of races out there these days. Um, and so a lot of people going into these events for the first time trying to work out how to best plan for them. And there's all sorts of stuff that you can read online and different people's opinions and things. So we thought we'll, uh, we'll add a bit of science into that as well as I guess a bit of feedback that we've had from athletes over the years. And of course in 15B we'll, we'll speak to an athlete who's done an event as well. Yeah, yep, looking forward to doing that one. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, that's it from us for today. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you back here next week for episode 15A. Awesome. Cool. We'll see you then.